Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Yes, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. My special guest tonight is poet S. Yarberry. S.'s new book of poetry, A Boy in the City, is available now from Deep Vellum Publishing. Welcome, S., to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you're with me as well. Let's, let's begin this journey. What I'd like to know from you first is, what is poetry? Yeah, um, that is a great question, Um, uh, and one that I think has many answers. Uh, You know, one of my uh, teachers in grad school, Carl Phillips, uh, said, uh, I think of poetry as being more a transformation of experience rather than a transcription of it, uh, which I've always really liked. And I think this idea of a transformation of experience um, and a transformation of experience to what end? What transforms it? What, what does transforming it do? Um, transforming experience do, I think, is where, you know, different poets will have different takes. But I've, I've always thought that poetry is this transformation of experience rather than a transcription of it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think that is, that is kind of the best way I've heard it put, uh, to, to borrow from Carl there. All right. Well, let me ask this question, then. It's a little different slant on it. Why is poetry important? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that poetry has this uh, power to, you know, take the ordinary or take, you know, someone's everyday life and, um, you know, bring it into this more metaphysical existence, this more metaphysical realm where we suddenly get to have um, whether we have control over it or we are able to uh, complicate it or sit with it, whatever that experience may be, uh, I think poetry kind of gives one the time and space to do, to do that, and, and that's what has always made it feel kind of magical to me. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Please share a poem. Sure. Um, great. I'll start with this poem. It comes uh, quite early in the collection. It's called Lips Crash with Lips inevitable Um, and the title of that poem is uh, taken or borrowed from uh, this poem called Metaphor for Action by Muriel Ruckeiser uh, which was a poem I really liked when I was uh, writing this book (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah so and also just a little note that I was um, reading this also reading this poem called Hang On by Ray Armand Trout uh, which had just been published in the New Yorker that morning that I wrote this poem, um, and so I had that, that in my head, too. Uh, so here we go. Lips crash with lips, inevitable. A modern catastrophe, we are, you and I, blowing smoke into the wind, napping on the couch. Rain hits the windows, I doze in and out. Wet tires on the wet street, I dream of peaches that hang like lanterns in the dark. This is what we want. Sex, then rest, sex, then rest, anarchy, then composure. 
you have another lover who lives out of state. When she texts you, I think, oh, nuts, my heart is so breakable. A siren starts, a fire truck glowing in the storm. Later, we'll drink beers. Our friends will wage themselves into the air. I have another love, too, you know. It's hard to be alone. It's hard to be in love twofold. How bizarre. Barnacles are dying. How horrible to watch your life go by and want so much. Those purple mountains, rough mouths agape. You wake me up. We kiss. Ask, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do? My whole life ignites. We'll do it all. Everything. Thank you. Wow. I'm just allowing it to to soak in. Oh, it's such a powerful work. Thank you. Such a powerful work. What inspired your book, A Boy in the City? Tell me everything. Yeah. Um well, I I think probably my, my biggest inspiration um was, you know, I, I was falling in love, uh, falling out of love uh, uh, throughout this kind of entire collection, um, which I think, you know, ignited some fire uh, there of inspiration. Uh, But I was also, uh, I'm I'm trans. I was uh, kind of dealing with my my gender identity uh, during this time too. And so this kind of uh, back and forth between, I think, intimacy and self-revelation uh, is really what gave a spark to the to the, to the fire of, of writing a boy in the city. All right, let me ask this question: As you think about your journey, what was an early experience where you learned or discovered that poetic language had power? Yeah, uh, I think you know the one of the earliest moments that I kind of discovered poetry or got excited about poetry was, um, and I, I always feel like I wish I had like a little bit more of a cool person to, to cite here, but you know, I loved the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot. Uh, All right. read it when I was in high school <laughs> and, All right. uh, you know, we didn't read a lot of poetry in high school, so I didn't have too many options, but, that one, I think, really uh, spoke to me for, for whatever reason. It, it seemed, um, yeah, it seemed exciting, and the language was so different, and I hadn't read anything like that before, and it, it made me excited. It made me excited about language. We were asked to write a poem. It was kind of all, uh, all went from there, so I have, have that poem to thank for things. So the rest is history, then. The rest is history, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As you think about your book, what surprised you most? What did you find out? What did you discover about yourself writing this book? Yeah, I think um, I think I really resisted writing about. uh, I think I really resisted writing about my. um, I don't. Yeah, being trans. Transness was something that I, I didn't really feel comfortable writing about for a long mm-hmm. time, even um, though it I think it plays a, a significant role in in the book itself. Um, 
And I think that was the thing that I had to really come to, to terms with writing about or finding a way to write about that felt uh, accurate or meaningful to me. Um, and so I, I'm really grateful for this book. Uh, I think it, it helped me work through some of those things. And, and that wasn't something I, I think I had planned on or necessarily wanted to do at every point. So uh, I think that's what, what writing this, this taught me the most. All right. And here's a question for you. You know, the cover of your book is quite striking. What was the process for developing the cover? Yeah, uh, that is a great question. I, I picked a few books that I, I liked, um, which all happen to be kind of blue and have like a mm-hmm. weird pattern on the front. Uh, so that was kind of a little, little aesthetic mood board, but, but the, the kind of, yeah, parrot man, for those who can't see it, that's on the cover of it, um, is a William Blake uh, piece of art. Um, and so I, I study William Blake. I'm in a PhD program, uh, and, and my area of focus is romantic poetry. I'm a big William Blake fan. Uh, he's my whole life, really. <laughs> um, All right. So the, the, yeah, no, dramatic statement, but somewhat true. Uh, Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. The designer kind of took took that into consideration and picked uh, some some William Blake things to throw in there. And then of course we got a cityscape since it's it's a boy in the city after all. All right. You know I want to more, know more about William Blake in terms of what about him and his work inspires you. Yeah, I. So William Blake's work is pretty, uh, you know, anti-lyric. It's not necessarily, it's not like I write like William Blake, which I think is good because he was (laughs) writing in the late 1700s. But Mm -hmm. he's writing in this mode of prophecy and um, he's ecstatic and creative and a total strange oddball who was, who was such an outcast during, during his life. Um, that I think I, I just from a very early on moment, I was drawn to the way that he wrote in this very authentic way uh, without necessarily, you know, this um, desire to be to be published or to be like anyone else in his writing, uh, which I think automatically just made him, of course, the coolest person to me, um, humanly <laughs> possible. Uh, so, you know, I, I think some of that is, is what's always drawn me to Blake's work. All right. Who are some of your other writing influences? Yeah, I mean, I definitely adore and appreciate and am in, you know, just, you know, in so much gratitude to to my teachers who are, who've been Carl Phillips and Mary Jo Bang and Mary Shebist in undergrad. Um, you know, those three poets, I think, are all spectacular and, and people's work that I'm always just absolutely in awe of. And I've recently got into work a little bit with Natasha Trethaway at uh, Northwestern, where, where I'm doing my my uh, grad degree, um, and I'm I'm really grateful uh, to her too. But yeah, I, I think you know my teachers' works are the ones that I, I tend to spend the most time with, and and you know learn from and and go back to. Um, but I'll also give a little shout out to Bridget P. and Kelly and Linda Gregg, uh, Frank O'Hara. Gerard Manley, Hopkins, all sorts of good folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Please share another poem. 
Um, awesome. I'm going to read this poem. It's called The Wolves. Uh, I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this during uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, which you know there there were there are a few poems in here written um, during that time where I was living in St. Louis and um, sitting on my uh, partner at the time's porch uh, pretty much all day, every day. It was very hot. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I wrote this poem sitting out there on, on that porch. The Wolves. My mind once opened like a jowl, jaw hung loose from skull. Today, though, my head feels like a swarm of swans. It feels imperfect, impertinent. The curves of birds dapple my drain pipe. Shreds of sentences approach, a portrait torn in the eye, dewlap dripping from the blades of grass, hand jobs playing inside. Filth is nothing new. I open my head like a variety show. Anything goes. A horror that started off abstract becomes utterly real. Thick, the skin of an utter entered my hand. Oh, pain, oh, death, oh, oh, observation. Everything feels like a rickety homestead. The horror being a what? The moribund experience of knowledge entered me. The green hump of the bridge is forever behind us. A school of dreams shine in shallow waters. Silver, then blue, then back again. The light seems to come from nowhere. A dream, a dream, then the perfect morning. I don't know. What are a body and hands, a mouth, a sex? I don't know where you went. Outside the window, there is a sky. Outside of myself, I set down a glass of water. The day is provoking comprehension. Two rabbits, I notice. Two squirrels, me doubled then doubled again. Where was it that I was looking, or where was it that I was looking for? There's no such thing as a gilded memory. I'm sitting here open-minded. Wolves come into view. What do they want? They want me. I just know it. Thank you so much. Mm. Gives an opportunity for me to... To think about your words, what I'd like to know, what are the predominant themes of your work? Um, other predominant things my work? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I work a lot with the line. I love the mystery of the line break. Uh, so that that's like a big part of it. I, I think, you know, it comes from also, you know, being preoccupied with cities. I, I like architecture and and building and you know kind of thinking structurally about uh what i'm saying uh so you know of course you know i love words and textures and and the sensuousness of language is is of course one of the reasons i think poets are poets um but yeah the line break is something i i really think about a lot and i have a lot of fun with all right let's take a brief break and we'll be right back great Thank you. 
am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with S. Yarberry. The new book is A Boy in the City. A question for you, my friend. Are you yeah. ready? All yeah. right. How does a poem begin for you, with an idea, a form, or an image? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I would definitely say an image is, is where I start my poems. Tell um, me more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, for me, and I, I think I know a lot of poets who, who start with ideas, and that's really exciting. Um, I wish I could do that. Uh, but when I try to do anything other than kind of start with, and it doesn't always have to be an image in the sense of, of um, you know, something complex or, or completely well wrought in some way, but, uh, you know, even a phrase or, or a single word that suddenly kind of feels anew or catches my interest, even if it's a simple word um, or simple phrase, something that, that kind of suddenly feels new to me. Um, I think that's where I tend to start and kind of spiral outward from from there. So, yeah. Mm. You know, a boy in the city, as, as I read the information about the book, you really focus on what's internal and how it affects what's external. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, Am I right? That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you as a result of this book, of putting yourself on paper? Uh, yeah. Who am I? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I, I, you know, I think that I, you know, feel more and more like um, not that this the not the person that the person that wrote this book is, you know, quite a past self by any means, but okay. it feels like really like a a moment in time um, and this kind of moment of growing as both a writer and a person and, and figuring, you know, figuring my, <laughs> figuring my stuff out, figuring my life out. Not, not that I have come mm-hmm. to any steadfast terms of what it is to be a person, but um, I, mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, think that this was this moment of, of growth and one that I look back on as, as a book that kind of, um, you know, uh, speaks to this moment in in my life, this moment in time uh, where I was moving cities and I was, uh, you know, uh, like I said, very in love with someone and, you know, kind of, you know, also learning kind of who, who I am myself. Uh, and I think kind of all of those elements felt like this, this really um, important and exciting moment in time that this book encapsulates for me um, and one that I can, I, I feel like I've moved on from in some ways, but will always kind of reverberate, of course, through, you know, my, my personal life, personal history, writing life, all that good stuff. I like that. I like that. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much mm. you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, yeah. not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Yeah. Uh, editing. Editing. Edit, editing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say I write uh, – I try and write – I overwrite a poem, I think, you know, I, I like kind of writing as much as I can in that, that moment where it feels, um, you know, where it feels like the poem is happening. Um, and then, you know, take a little bit away, carve it out. But I, I uh, 
would say the original is always kind of there in some kind of ephemeral form. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that, that is something I, I don't necessarily go back to edited poems and rewrite sections or something like that. My poems also aren't super long. So I think my process would probably be different if I was writing, you know, pages and pages and pages, but uh, I tend to whittle things down into, into what they are rather than uh, expand or rewrite or cross out. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Writing is like the best feeling in the world to me when it happens. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, okay. But I, uh, I, I don't write. Uh, I don't write every day or anything like that. Um, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'll I'll go for a few weeks and feel like I write, you know, 10 poems and then uh, not write for for a couple weeks and kind of on and Mm -hmm. off uh, like that. Um, So to me, when when I am writing, it feels really exciting um, rather than exhaustive, uh, which which is a feeling I hope to hope to keep because I, I want to feel good writing my poems and not feel completely yes. you know worn down by them. Uh, although yes, I, others have, have great you know different opinions. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. You know, what do you yeah. think is the most difficult part of the artistic process? What's been the most difficult part of this whole endeavor? Um. The most difficult part of of the process, I think, is having other people read the poems. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that is what I, I, I think, you know, if I was just writing for myself or, um, you know, just not, you know, publishing or however you want other people approach their, their writing life, um, I, I think, you know, having other people look at it, um, look at it, the poems, the poems, uh, you know, is, is what has been the most difficult part. And not always bad, difficult in a bad way, but I think one of the most challenging is, you know, making yourself um, vulnerable to other people and, and known to other people in, in your art. Uh, you know, that's, it's a sc- it can be a scary thing. So I think that's yes, been what's difficult. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that 100%, that it can be a very, very scary thing. And I want to know from you, has a poem ever humbled, one of your own poems, ever humbled or frightened you? And what did you do with it, that information? How did you, how did yeah. you process it? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, you know, the last, yeah, the last poem in my, my book is actually one that surprised me, and it was one that I didn't want to write. It's called Trans is Latin for a Cross. And I remember I was mm-hmm. supposed to write uh, a poem that it was a, someone – you know, I, I was uh, in a class in, in doing my MFA in poetry, and someone was saying we had to write a political poem, whatever that means to us. Um, and I was uh, okay. really salty about having to do that. <laughs> do that? I don't know why I was very resistant to it. Um, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, just a little a bit angsty. Uh, but then I, I sat down and, and thought about it, and I wrote this poem, and. It was one that, yeah, really surprised me that I wrote it. It wasn't something I thought I wanted to write, and um, then I did, and it, and it ended up being the last poem of my book. Uh, and I think that is both because it surprised me and is one that felt also like what, something I really needed to say at the same time. Uh, so that kind of unexpected turn that that's something you don't necessarily want to write can actually be 
uh, usually is, I think, the, the thing you might need to say the most. Uh, mm, I like that. Really true to me. I like. Well, would, would you be willing to share it now? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Trans is Latin for across. Across as in over there, beyond. The phrase life expectancy isn't sexy per se, though it is beautiful to have a life and a love, even when I think I wish I could be only a freak out, only crossing the street. I suppose there is a sense and there is a nonsense to what it feels like to be. I pose, I compose in a trance way, of course. I can't listen to sad music. Please don't make me. When I take off my shirt in the mirror, it too isn't sexy, or rarely is it sexy. I cry, and that's the truth. One past love pushed me against the wall, said, do you want to feel like a man? Sure. There was a summer storm. We fucked for hours. Then she smoked while I slept. Simple. It's not that I became anything. I was, I was, and I slept and I sleep. It is nothing special to not want to be hurt. Thank you. Wow. There's so much in that piece, yes. So much in that piece. Yeah, thank you. What is the purpose of that particular piece of poetry? Talk to me. What's the purpose? Yeah, uh, the, I think the purpose of it was to, you know, for me, I think starting to identify as, as trans uh, was mm-hmm. was a big, uh, well, you know, big, obviously a big step for anyone, and it was a big step for me, too, um, and something that I, I was dealing with and not feeling comfortable with. So I think part of writing this poem was, was kind of taking that um, identity and that, that idea of being trans and transness. Um, and really kind of pushing myself to, to think about it as, as both an identity and a word and what, what that meant, um, what that meant to me. And uh, so I think that was what, what I was grappling with in that poem. Right. You know, many times I've been asked over the years, what does it mean to be an African-American male poet? And I'd share a number of different things in terms of what the struggle has looked like and how that shaped my identity. What does it mean for you to be a trans poet? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been thinking about about that a lot. Um, and, you know, I think for me, uh, I, I'm someone who's, you know, writing poems that don't always read as, as trans. I, you know, I'm not always talking mm. about gender or transness in, yes. in every poem forthright, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what can feel kind of complicated to, to some people or whatever is that it's not, you know, uh, you know, my identity isn't being necessarily announced in every poem. A lot of them yes. are just uh, between an I and a U and, and um, you know, in the book, right, you get kind of all this context because other poems are talking about different things. Um, so I, I've been thinking about that as, as something that, you know, uh, where, like, what does it mean to be a trans poet? What does it mean to write a trans poem? Um, yes. I, you know, I, I, I still, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I think that's mm. something I'm still working through and something 
I, you know, am, am still thinking about, although it, it's certainly on my mind uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't have a good answer, but it's, it's a good question. <laughs> well, I mean, even for, for me, as I think about being an African-American male poet, not all of my poetry sure. centers around, quote, African-American issues. And sometimes people yeah. expect that to be, always be the case, that it always does. But that's, there's more to me than just that. Um, there's right. a world around that I'm a part yeah. of. So I can understand. Right. I can understand. Yeah. And yeah. like you, I'm still trying to figure it out too. So I thank yeah. you for sharing. <laughs> I really appreciate it. You know, when yeah, you write you. poetry, when you write poetry, S, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Oh, uh, I love that question. Uh, I think it is the one place I I let my guard down, although I also think people find some of my poems a little bit mysterious, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. has been interesting to, to, uh, I think, to talk to people who are are close to me who've read my poems. Uh, Because, yeah, I, I think it is the one place I try to be um, you know, as honest or forthright as possible, but sometimes that comes out in these kind of um, occlusive ways or something. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but that's, yeah, I, I really like that question a ton. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, yeah. I'm glad. We're bonding. Hey. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Please, please yeah. share another poem. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, let's see uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to read this poem called Dirt, and um, I, I don't think this one needs needs too much of, of an introduction, okay. uh, but um, yeah, okay, it's called Dirt. It was the gray cat with the robin in his mouth, or you flicking your cigarette off the porch that first warm night of April when I began wondering how this would all pan out. This all meaning nothing other than you and I, our language urged to be jointed. Hidden from the sense of things is our late motif of daily drama. A man plays the fiddle and a skateboarder speaks loud French. Day whisks off into another cast iron night. Night makes all too clear our real bad burdens. I shuck my burdens for some universal truth. Truth never being the balm it should, I come out empty-handed. One time, early, before you had heard some damp secret from my screwball past, you sat on my lap in your big pink robe, wielding a glass of wine. We spoke only of southern ticks and surefire obscurities. We each let our voices sprawl out over the silent swamp of all we could not know. I don't know you at all, you said. The swamp grew deeper then, or longer. You come into the kitchen when I call you your hand scooping up a beetle gentle as ash. Ash falls often from where I'm standing. The beetles never flutter, just crawl unromantically across the soft brown tiles. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be, I sing out. The thing is, when I say your name, you always answer, and when you say mine, it's like a door slamming shut. The cicadas will start any day now, their voices forming like a thick wool cloth through the air. That collective voice rubs up against you, gets in your shirt and your head. I want to be so unseen it hurts sometimes. If I could be dirt, I would. Thank you. Wow. 
Oh, I like that. Would you read that one again for me? Oh, I like that. Please read it again. Yeah, you want me to read the poem again? Yes, I'd love it. All right. Dirt. It was the gray cat with the robin in his mouth. Are you flicking your cigarette off the porch that first warm night of April when I began wondering how this would all pan out? This all meaning nothing other than you and I, our language urged to be jointed. Hidden from the sense of things is our late motif of daily drama. A man plays the fiddle and a skateboarder speaks loud French. Day wisps off into another cast iron night. Night makes all too clear our real bad burdens. I shuck my burdens for some universal truth. Truth never being the balm it should, I come out empty-handed. One time early before you had heard some dance secret from my screwball past, you sat on my lap in your big pink robe wielding a glass of wine. We spoke only of southern ticks and surefire obscurities. We each let our voices sprawl out over the silent swamp of all we could not know. I don't know you at all, you said. The swamp grew deeper then, or longer. You come into the kitchen when I call you, your hands scooping up a beetle gentle as ash. Ash falls often from where I'm standing. The beetles never flutter, just crawl unromantically across the soft brown tiles. Nowhere to go, nowhere to be, I sing out. The thing is, when I say your name, you always answer. And when you say mine, it's like a door slamming shut. The cicadas will start any day now, their voices forming like a thick wool cloth through the air. That collective voice rubs up against you, gets in your shirt and your head. I want to be so unseen, it hurts sometimes. If I could be dirt, I would. Oh, (laughs) Oh, something about that piece of poetry really resonates with me. <laughs> Maybe it's the last line. If I could be dirt, I would. <laughs> oh, it's something. Thank you for your willingness to share it with me again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you yeah. Think about you so <laughs> what is your relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Do you spend a lot of time on the stage? Are you doing a lot of open mics? Those types of things. Is there a relationship between the two? Your speaking voice and your written voice. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, uh, that's tricky. I, I think that I, uh, you know, I didn't have, I didn't do a lot of performance, uh, performance or anything like that. Um, and you know, I've done some readings, you know, through the years mm-hmm. and all of that, which has helped a lot. Uh, both yes. With just one being <laughs> nervous and two. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of learning how to, how to talk, uh, in front of people. Um, and I had the, there was this poet I met with, uh, once and she was saying that, you know, don't, don't do, you know, a poetry voice, you know, do just like say the poem exactly how you would say it, just like talking to your friends. Um, mm. and I think that's it's great advice and one that I've always thought about and do try to channel, although I, I think uh, it can be, it's, I think it's more difficult than it sounds to just uh, read a poem like you're, you're reading it to your friends. Uh, but something I, 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 I haven't internalized in a way. Um, and, and I think right. that advice a lot and I think it's, it's some good one. Yeah. It's a good one. Mm. Please share another piece. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
so this this poem's called uh, Two Children Threatened by a Nightingale, uh, which is a title of a Max Ernst painting. Um, and I have a lot of uh, poems in here that are taking um, kind of surrealist paintings. Uh, some take their titles, others are, are just more more generally kind of have, have moments of those paintings, this kind of attractic uh, moment of, of, of those works kind of come in uh, here and there. So anyways, this this is one, uh, Two Children that can, Threatened by a Nightingale, which is a Two Children Threatened by a Nightingale. Attracted to the guise and not the object, light coming or going creates a time of day. This happened. This did happen. If the story is about a woman, let us call her Ark. The story goes, fruit flies, horses, delinquent power, or the story goes, a burning, a burning, there is no more house. When I speak of gentleness, I speak of desire. What does the nightingale have that I don't have? Position, relief, I am tired of attraction. A snake moves across dried leaves. I wish for a doorway. If I was the prince of birds, who could hurt me? You couldn't. Thanks. Mm. Tell me more about that particular piece. Who are you in conversation with? Who are you talking to? Yeah, I think I, I was talking to uh, the painting as the itself, the object, um, and, uh, you know, kind of having a conversation with not really anyone in particular in the painting, but just mm-hmm. the painting um and and you know reflecting on it uh and letting it kind of guide guide where i was at in that moment um but kind of having that as a as a route uh to to where my mind was uh wandering mm-hmm. off to yeah now when you think about poetry in general your work how important is accessibility and, and my question is, should one have to work hard to solve a poem? Um, I, you know, I, I don't think that, um, I, I don't want any of my poems to be inaccessible personally. Um, All right. I also think that, yeah, I think that poetry is also, you know, it's it's art and, you know, I think there are going to be more abstract poems and and more maybe readily, um, if not readily accessible, maybe readily, uh, you know, uh, interactable um, than than other people's work. And I I guess I just say that in that I I think that, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily strive for accessibility as one of my, you know, things at the forefront of, of when I'm writing. Um, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to to be completely, um, you know, uh, in yeah, completely inaccessible either. Uh, but you know, for yes. something, for instance, like I could I could hear someone saying, well, what if someone you know doesn't know that painting uh, that you've you know named your poem after or whatever? Like I, I don't want you to have to know the name of that painting for the poem to make sense. You know what I mean? Or for someone to get something mm-hmm. out of the poem. Uh, so I kind of try to like work kind of within that idea of like, oh, if you know this painting, you'll have one reading of it. If you don't know that painting, you'll, you know, have a different reading of it. And both 
should totally work, uh, in, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Right. back. I'm enjoying my conversation with S. Yarberry. And S, here's a question for you. Great. All right. (laughs) What role should a title play in a poem? Yeah, I think there there are are many different roles a title can play. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, one you know, uh, titling is, is something I will say all I've never been very good at. I've been, <laughs> my teachers were right. like critiquing my titles when I was in writing <laughs> workshops before, like, like the poem is working, but the title doesn't make any sense or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know if I should be an, an authority on, on how to title a poem, but one, mm-hmm. one really good piece of advice that, that I got, um, from uh, uh, one of my teachers at one point was when you're editing your poem and you're taking things out or you're moving things around, especially those, those phrases and that language that you take out of the poem often can be moved to the title um, because, you know, you're taking them out as, as something as, as excess. Uh, But, you know, they were originally part of the poem or they were originally there in that kind of initiating idea of what the poem is or means and that that language can kind of become like this great word bank um, or great like, you know, source of phrases that might work as potential titles of, of that poem. Um, and so that's, that's been uh, a piece of advice I am really grateful to have heard and, and use a lot when thinking about, um, when thinking about titling my poems. Uh, so hopefully All right, very nice. that, that helps someone. Yeah. Yes, very nice. You helped me. All right. You know, they say, (laughs) they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, musicians, artists, and poets. All right? What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? Um, what emerges from me? I, I think what most emerges, what most emerges from me is, uh, you know, I, I look, I, I think a lot of my poems, right, are, are looking around these different places I am, and, and sometimes it's looking at a computer screen of a, of a painting, or sometimes it's looking, mm-hmm. you know, out the door or out the window or whatever. Um, and, you know, thinking about how this kind of, uh, you know, exterior world um, 
you know, can can most uh, mimic kind of the the internal workings of of my my mind or how how I'm feeling. Um, and and so I'm always kind of interested in this friction between the abstract idea or the abstract emotion and then the the solidity of of the world um, of, of around me around us. Um, and so I'm always tr- kind of trying to put into friction, I guess, that, that exterior mm. world with the, the interior one. Um, and, and I think different things come in, di- in different moments, but that's, that's kind of how I, I think that's, that's what I'm, what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and so hopefully what I'm producing as well. Yeah. You know, I was reading where Carl Phillips made the statement that Yarberry is a defiant new voice who writes past the festoonery of gender and easy binaries my question is our world there's so much happening there's so much happening good bad and indifferent what do you see as being the role of a poet in modern day society yeah uh yes the role of the poet is uh you know i think the role of the poet goes back to you know to to you know, go circle back to, to what I had brought up earlier from what Carl mm-hmm. Phillips has said of, of poetry, um, right? That, that poetry can transform experience, right? That the poet, I think, isn't just this transcriber of, of what's going on, but someone who's taking what's going on and being able to transform it, uh, you know, and not transform it necessarily into something that it isn't, but, you know, transform it into something that can, can speak to other people, can, um, you know, speak to, you know, different uh, communities, different, um, you know, different places. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that kind of idea of, of the poem as, as a transformative medium uh, rather than, than a trans- transcriptive one. Uh, and, and I think the role of the poet has something to do with that. Uh, you know, and I, I think there are many roles of poets and people can have yes. all sorts of different roles as a poet, of course. Uh, but one that I think really really uh, interests me is, is this one uh, of someone who can, who can transform experience into something, um, some, into a poem, into something that that feels kind of like a, a, a core of of that um, experience itself in some way. Um, yeah. tell, tell me more about this transformational piece. I'm fascinated by it. Just just speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, and like I said, I'm borrowing this from, from Carl Phillips. Um, yes. And, you know, I think it, it has to do with this kind of the creativity of the poet or the, um, you know, the ability for the poet to not just see something happening and write it down, uh, but mm-hmm. being able to see that and, and interpret it or, you know, make something of it that, it, it, in and of itself, maybe it doesn't make, um, or kind of, you know, to show its complexities, to, um, you know, make it a, as tenuous as it, as it actually is, even if just transcribing it would maybe fall flat in some way, um, right? That, you know, even if, you know, you're sitting on your porch brokenhearted looking at the world, right? That's, you know, that's one sentence. Uh, but, you know, how can the poet take something like that, that is both every day and also extraordinarily monumental um, and, and kind of make it as monumental as, as it is to that individual. 
um, right? That's like the, that tra- transformative process that I think the poet uh, takes on rather than, than the transcriber or something like that. Um, mm. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, but that's what I'm thinking. It does. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking also that Carl Phillips sounds like an amazing man. I'm glad that he's in your life because I'm learning from him through you. So I, I like that. Thank you so much for sharing again. Please yeah. <laughs> share another poem. Share another poem, my friend. Great. Uh, sure. I, I will, uh, yeah, I'm going to read this poem. It's called The Scholar. Um, and yeah, anything, let's see, anything interesting to say right off the bat. This, this poem, um, I'll, I'll read it. It doesn't really have any signifiers of this anymore, but this was a poem I, I feel like I actually, uh, is one that I, I really spent a lot of time on and, and, uh, kind of had this method of collage going where I was writing these, uh, kind of different little things that, that kept not cohering into a single poem. And then I, uh, you know, kind of slowly but surely realized they were all the same poem. Uh, and so, so that's, that's kind of how this poem came into to being. And it's, yeah, it's called The Scholar. The sentence became a medium for desire to traverse. Then a livelihood began to take place. The difference was all in the performance. I dress up at night and watch the bugs fuck beneath the porch lights. I wish to end it all. It rains. It rains again. There is an exhaustive sort of brutality to my life, a mundane existentialism that leans in close to the death clatter of that epistemic grid of what it means to be another undone suicide. I put the television on, a show, radiant theater of sitcoms, where suicide does not exist, the hard word, the concept, the oblivious object, an addiction, this idea, If I enter the myth, what desires will I have to fill? If I find myself, I find myself asking, asking again. I have often needed to save my life. A methodology to my existence is desirable, thing excruciatingly formal. I speak in polemics, eternal and infernal. It's not really playful, the ending of my life, though theatrics are certainly involved. Ah, to cohere to the world we make ourselves up in. I twirl my arm around like a windmill, a chainsaw. I pray to Aphrodite with a penny in my mouth. There is a life we live and a life we forget. When the trees blow back and forth in the cold November wind, I think them torsos and heads shaking wildly in my window, occupying the trees to the corner of my eye. I can only think posthumously these days. The fire in my heart has gone kaput, kaput from etre capot, to be without tricks in a card game. My heart is out of tricks and the game has gone sour. There's a beach down the street that I never make it to. The text gone unanswered, the emails, the calls. Sorry, I'm always chuckling. What is one to do? How malleable a lifetime of displeasure can be. Nightly I swarm. Nightly I consider stars and winter mornings. I read theory on the discursive limits of sex. Purpose, a charming little polemic, to call a war upon my own polytropo self. This self that did nothing really. The trees swerve outside. Of course I want to die. The trees swerving. Nightly I string myself up. Thank you.
Wow. Just give me a minute. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> process. Now, A. I'm going to ask you a question that I've never asked anyone else. You're the very first. And if you can't okay. answer it, it's okay. All right? <laughs> okay. Where does your poetic doubt begin and where does it end? Where does my poetic doubt end and where does begin. it begin? Yes. Yeah. Where does it begin uh, and where does it end? Yes. Yeah, I think that my poetic doubt, um, you know, my poetic doubt, I think, begins after that first version of the poem. After I write the first, you know, version of that poem, there's uh, suddenly a, a lot of doubt that that comes of whether or not, you know, it makes mm. sense if it's worthwhile, if it like is even an important thing to say. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that that is where um, it it begins and it ends in that act of, of editing or active kind of, of, you know, going through it word by word, line by line, stanza by stanza, and really trying to find whether or not those words need to be there or if they're being said in the right way or what they're saying is what, you know, I, I want to go here. Um, I think that is that kind of process is where both the doubt <laughs> begins and also hopefully where where it ends as well. All right, I like that. Thank you, and thank you for being the first one to answer that question. You did an incredible job. I appreciate it. I really thank do you. because <laughs> I didn't even know what the question meant. So <laughs> you did an outstanding job. Great. Thank you, yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, we live in a world, and you know this has changed so much in terms of technology. Do the internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? Oh, yeah, I, you know, I think, I think yes, it does. I, I think, you know, there, um, you know, there are just so many poems that I am so grateful to have found, and I don't think I would have ever seen if the internet did not exist. Maybe I would have. I have no idea. Uh, but I think that social media. Um, in particular is where I find a lot of poems and poets that I, I don't usually come across or aren't in my immediate circles or are poems from a long time ago that, you know, I, I completely missed or weren't on my radar. Um, so I think, I think they, they, they play a pivotal role in, in I think, you know, how, how poems are, are accessed and found and discovered. Um, so I, I think it's pretty, pretty important and ultimately good. Yeah, That's what yeah. I like that. Another poem, please. Another poem. Sure, sure. Um, great. This this poem is called Boyhood. Um, yeah, it's called Boyhood, and uh, I don't think there's anything you you need to know about this one. All right. I uh, great Boyhood. I saw something live. It was a beautiful thing, and easy, like a blue jay shimmering in the light. I stood there in the buzzing snow, her eyes glaucopic as she sang, what if, what if, into the silence. We were living together in this place. We shrugged off all other truths. It was hard at first, the blankness, the wanting. Then it was all I had. 
I stood still in the buzzing snow, playing the hum of a copper opera in my mind. What if I unknot what I need to say and still cannot say it? Irresponsible, irresistible, an extravagant lack of an extravagant thing. Thank you. You know, I know that you love William Blake. And here's the question. If you were a poet during a different era, when, where would you want to exist? <laughs> um, so would I want to be William Blake is the question. <laughs> okay. Um, Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, that's, uh, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question to ask. I, I mean, I think that <laughs> William Blake is also a, uh, you know, phenomenal visual artist. He was most known for for his visual art, and and for that, I think I I I would love to be William Blake in his not only capacity as a poet, but also as a printmaker and his um, ability to to really illuminate these these aspects of of poetry in the visual arts uh, is something I really would admire, and and I think would be an amazing uh, thing to get to do. So uh, I'll I, I'll mm-hmm. pick. I'll pick him. I'll, I'll, All right. You know, All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll take William for 500. All right. All right. I like yeah. that. I like that. <laughs> we yeah. have time for one more poem. But before you do that, I want to ask this question. I know you're probably tired of me by now, but I want to know, <laughs> do you think, if you think you were meant to be a poet? Um, was I meant to be a poet? I, yes. I, <laughs> I I hope so uh, <laughs> because it's where I have uh, ended up, and I quite like it. Uh, so okay, I, okay. I'll say, I'll say yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I like hearing that too because you're quite a poet, quite a poet, Thank you. quite a poet. <laughs> well, as we one more poem, as I said, one more poem for the road. Before we end our journey together, give us one more. All right, all right. This poem is called Castles. Um, and uh, speaking of poems uh, and titles and all of that, this was one I, I really struggled to title, but uh, I, I think it, I think the, the title is good the way it is now, but it wasn't. All right. <laughs> um, all right. All right. So castles. <laughs> uh, all right. Once I watched the ocean rise up on its miraculous haunches, blue and cursed to fall within itself forever. I was a child and frightened by power. I listened and opened doors for strangers. There is a certain dread that comes along with being human. We are castles of what? Patterns and sex? I know I am destroying the romance of this all. I hope you got everything you wanted, the nurse said as I left. I imagine we listen to others when we fail ourselves. This, though, was never quite failure. The world flexed, and I was flown, my body aching for the anatomy of boyhood. Thank Mm. you. Wow. Yes, what piece of advice would you give to your readers? You may have already answered this before, but I just want to hear it one more time. What piece of advice would you give us as your readers? Um, 
I would, the one piece of advice I would give to, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, read, uh, read a lot of poetry. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. just uh, okay. reading and reading and reading is the best way to, to read poetry and, and reading things um, outside your, your usual uh, interests or zones of comfort and all of that is what uh, has made me uh, excited about poetry. And, and I think that oh. that's just a good piece of advice in general. So, yeah. Well, I can, I can, I sense your excitement. Where can listeners find your work? Where can they find your work? Yeah, they can, um, you can pre-order uh, A Boy in the City. It's coming out July 26th. Um, so you can mm. uh Google a boy in the city, deep vellum, whatever, uh, and, and find it. Um, so if you're, if you're interested in the collection, that's, that's how to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I have, uh, some poems online. I have a website, scrberry.com and, uh, I have all sorts of links and all that good stuff on there. So, yeah. All right. All right. Finally, what is next in the works for you? Yes, yeah, I am working I'm working on uh, book number two right now. Um, I'm I'm excited about it, and it, it's coming together. So so that's where my uh, where all my energy is going. Creative energy is going now is is to some some new work, um, which you know hopefully <laughs> comes together. I think I think it will though. I'm I'm sure it will. I want to thank you for joining me tonight. I learned so much. I learned new perspectives, and that's always important, always important to stay open to new perspectives about lived experiences. That's so important. So I want to thank you for that. I wish you nothing but the best. Nothing yes, but the thank best. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, this was such a wonder. I, your questions were really phenomenal, and I, I really well, appreciate that. It was, it was a great time. Well, that's why they pay me the big bucks, ass. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody pays me any bucks. But yeah. I'm glad you think that. That makes me happy. That makes me very, very happy. All right. Good night to you, S. You've got a new fan right, in me. You've got a new fan. All right. Great. And to our listening audience, I want to thank you, as always, for tuning in. And as I share every week, Let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Until next time. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.